0: So, because of our text this morning, I spent some of this week thinking about taxes. Yes, thinking about taxes. Now, none of us, I don't think many of us like to think about taxes. We pay a lot of different taxes. I was thinking about all the taxes we pay. We pay income tax, right? Federal, state, local income tax. We pay property taxes. We pay sales taxes, We pay gas taxes, we pay estate taxes, we pay a lot of taxes. And as a result of paying a lot of taxes, we end up paying a lot of money in taxes to our government. And I was thinking about this and it it caused me to kind of, to look at a pay stub. So I want to show you a pay stub here. This is a pay stub of, of Jane Doe. Do any of you know Jane Doe? If there are any people with the surname Doe here, I don't think you should name your kid Jane. It's kind of all over the place. Jane Doe. But this is Jane Doe's tax stub. And if you look at Jane Doe's tax stub, you kinda, we, we kind of highlighted it here. There's a, a total gross income category. You'll see $581 for the current check and then a year-to-date of 279. dollars And then you drop down and you see total withholdings. That total withholding line and the total withholding on the year, $9,900. Like, I don't know, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a lot of taxes. That's like a third of someone's income, of Jane Doe's income, is withheld in taxes. All these income taxes, Social Security, all these taxes that are withheld, and we're all pretty familiar with this. When we look at our pay stub, we see all these taxes that are withheld. Now when we think about taxes, some of the taxes we pay, well they go to support good things. They go to support infrastructure, public safety. They go to support good things that we can kind of all get our education. But also when we think about the taxes we pay, it can be kind of distressing and even upsetting because sometimes our taxes go to pay for things like $10,000 toilets and abuses of government power. And when we see things like that that our taxes that are going to pay for, we, we get kind of upset and it kind of calls asks us, we kind of ask ourselves, well, as a follower of Jesus, should I be paying taxes that go to support things that as a follower of Jesus I'm not so comfortable supporting? Should we pay taxes to support things we don't believe in? in a bigger picture, what is our relationship to government? As followers of Jesus, what should our relationship to government be? Well, this morning, Jesus has an answer for us for both of those questions, and he has a bit more he'd like to share with us as well. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12. It's found in the Bible that the church provides on page 824. For the last two weeks, we've been focusing on Jesus' last climactic and fatal week, this last week of Jesus' life. And let's review kind of where we've been. We first kind of encountered Jesus in this last week. He was riding on a donkey and he's coming into Jerusalem. And the crowds are cheering him. They're chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And the people are cheering him because they think that he's the coming Messiah. And so they're cheering him. And Jesus himself then goes into the temple and he inspects the temple and he's looking for followers, but he he doesn't see anything so that night he goes back to Bethany and he goes to sleep. The next morning he gets up and he goes, he goes back into the temple. And when he gets into the temple that next morning, he's upset. He's pretty angry. And because he's upset and angry, he overturns, he throws some tables, he kicks people out of the temple, he stops the sacrifices, all on his own authority, all because he chooses to do it. Well, this upsets the leadership of Israel. The priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they're upset with Jesus. They're upset because he overturned the tables. They're upset because he stopped the sacrifices. So they ask him, they say, hey, under what authority do you do these things? Who told you that you could do this? Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. What do you do with John the Baptist? Well, they decide that they're not going to answer him because they're afraid of the crowd. So Jesus decides that he's not going to answer their question and instead responds with a story, with a parable. And he tells a parable about a vineyard and the vineyard owner and the owner's son. A parable designed to reveal that Jesus himself is the ultimate authority and to reveal to them their ultimate destiny which makes them even more upset because they know the parable is against them and they know the story doesn't end well for them. But they don't do anything about it then because they they know that the crowds will turn on them. But they don't go away. They just hide for a while. And they hide and they plot their next move. And now we pick up the story. The story continues For us in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. In this verse, they is a reference to the Jewish leaders, to the priests, the teachers, and the elders. They now have a new plan. They still want to get Jesus. But now they're going to send two new groups of people to see if they can catch Jesus in his word. Mark tells us that they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. Now this is such an interesting combination. There were no two groups who were more opposed to one another than the Pharisees and the Herodians. They were political enemies. The Pharisees were a group that were thoroughly devoted to the law of Moses. They're so devoted to the law of Moses that they go and make their own new laws and more rules to make sure that people don't even come close to breaking God's law. The Herodians, on the other hand, were deeply devoted to the reign of Herod the Great and his sons. They're on the opposite ends of the political Spectrum, And remember, Herod the Great, King Herod and his sons, all rule under the authority and supervision of Rome. The Pharisees are fiercely devoted to the idea of Jewish independence. And as a result, when it came to the proposition of taxes, would have been against the idea of paying taxes to Rome. On the other hand, the Herodians who ruled under the authority of Rome, would have thought it would have been a good idea and beneficial to pay taxes to Rome. The priests, the teachers, the elders brought these two radically different, diametrically opposed groups together to catch Jesus in his words. It said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's the case here. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And these two groups who are diametrically opposed, complete opposites on the political spectrum, get together to trap Jesus. Now look at the setup, verse 14. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Now, these guys are laying it on thick here. Notice the flattery that they're using to set Jesus up. They call him teacher. Some of your translations may say rabbi. It's a title of respect and authority. Look at what they say next. We know you are a man of integrity. They're pretending that they believe that Jesus is totally honest and is gonna answer regardless of the consequences. Next, they say, you're not swayed by others. Again, emphasizing that he's not going to let the fear of men influence his decisions. Then they say, look at you teach the way of God in truth. These people don't believe this. They're setting Jesus up. They're flattering him. They're, 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 they're highlighting the fact that they are going to ask this man a very important, difficult question. And they're not only setting Jesus up, they're ramping up the crowd. Because remember, it's not only the Pharisees and the Herodians who are listening to Jesus. There's a crowd around Jesus who are, who, who are hanging on his every word. What's Jesus gonna say? So these Pharisees and Herodians are setting Jesus up with flattery and ramping up the crowd. Now remember, the Pharisees and the Herodians were sent to catch Jesus in his words. A better translation here, a more accurate or more descriptive translation would be to trap him like an animal. They want Jesus gone. They want Jesus dead. And they want to use Jesus' own words against him. So they ask in their planning, they come up with what they think is the perfect question. Question the perfect question to trap him, to catch him in his own words. A question that has no good answer. Look at the question, end of verse 14. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, this may be the perfect question to trap Jesus, At this time, this is a sincere debate that is raging in Judea. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we pay taxes to Rome or not? People were actually struggling with this question. In AD 6, the Roman Emperor Augustus conquers and puts completely under Rome's control and authority Judea. And in AD 6, when Augustus puts them completely under Roman control, he implements an imperial tax. Some of your Bibles may say a poll tax. Same thing. This tax is on all non-Roman citizens that are living in Judea. It's a tax that they all must pay. A tax that they have to pay to their oppressors. A tax that they have to pay to their occupiers. It's a special tax just for them and no one gets all excited about having to pay taxes. But here, these Jews hated the idea of having to pay taxes to Rome. Not only do they have to pay taxes to their occupier, but they have to pay the tax using a Roman denarius. A Roman denarius is the Roman currency. It's a coin, and it was problematic for the Jews because of what the coin represented. You see, on one side of the coin was the picture of the current Roman emperor Tiberius. And there was an inscription under his picture that said, son of the divine Augustus. You see what's starting to happen? The Roman money has a picture of Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. And on the other side of the coin, there is an inscription that describes him as the high priest. You see, for the Jewish people, this this inscription that is on the coin is blasphemy. And the image is idolatry. So the Jews were incredibly disturbed with the idea of having to pay taxes using the Roman money. Not only paying taxes to their occupier, but using a coin that they think is idolatrous and blasphemous. There were some Jews that that wouldn't even look at the coin, let alone touch it, because it created such a problem for them. It's a genuine controversy. It's the perfect question. Should we pay taxes or not? Well, this creates a very real dilemma for Jesus. It's a very real dilemma. If he says, yes, pay your taxes to Rome, then his influence with the people would have been limited or even destroyed. They would have turned on him. He would have alienated himself from them. But if on the other hand, he says, no, absolutely not, don't pay your taxes to Rome, then he would have been reported to the Roman authorities, he would have been charged with insurrection and arrested. You see, there's no easy answer to this question. It's the perfect question. Yes, pay your taxes, and he alienates the people. No, don't pay your taxes, and Rome charges him with treason and arrests him. The perfect question. And it seems like a no-win situation for Jesus. But let's look what Je- how Jesus responds. Jesus is never tricked, and he always has the perfect response. The right answer. Look what he says. And I this, seriously, may be the best answer ever. Verse 15. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked Isn't that incredible? He knows exactly what they're trying to do. He knows exactly who they are. He knows their hearts. And then he says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now remember, this is the Roman money. It's interesting that Jesus did not have one of these coins himself. He had to ask them for the coin. But I think it's even more interesting that they actually had the coin themselves they actually are holding on to the Roman coin, acknowledging that, they have, that they're using this Roman coin, that they're the beneficiaries of the Roman government. Then Jesus, they give him the denarius, and he asks them, and I can, I can kind of picture, can you kind of picture Jesus like talking to these Pharisees and Herodians, and he asked them for the coin, and I can kind of picture him holding it up, like for all of them to see, to kind of make this point, to kind of drive this one home. So the crowds hear what he has to say. He asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? And the answer is that pretty obvious. Caesar's, Tiberius. Caesar's image is on the coin. And now, like the dagger line. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. That's the answer. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. It's not one or the other, it's both and. The Greek word that has been translated here, give back, means to meet a contractual or other obligation. To meet a contractual or other obligation to pay, to pay out, to fulfill. It's not a gratuitous payment, but it's a giving back of something that is owed. The payment of this tax is not a gift to be given, but it is a debt owing for benefits received. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now let's look closer at these two instructions two instructions that Jesus gives to the Herodians and to the Pharisees, to the crowd that is listening, and to us here this morning. Two very specific instructions. First, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. By stating this, by giving this instruction, Jesus is acknowledging the authority Acknowledging the authority of the ruling government. He is acknowledging the authority of the Roman government over the Jewish people. He's telling these Jewish people that they are to submit to the authority of the Roman government. That they are to submit to the authority of the Roman government, even if they think that that government is acting unjustly, unfairly or oppressively in every situation, even if they are unjust, unfair, or oppressing them, Jesus is acknowledging the authority of the Roman government and instructing the Jewish people to submit to them. Therefore, they should pay the taxes to Rome, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And likewise for us, He is acknowledging the authority of the government that rules you and me. He is acknowledging that authority in our lives and He is instructing us to submit to the authority of the government in our lives. Remember last week? Last week we said that Jesus is the ultimate authority in our lives, which we said means Jesus is the boss and the boss just told us to submit to the authority of the government in our lives. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. So we too must submit to our government's authority, which means we too must pay our taxes. Now let me be clear what Jesus is teaching us here. Let me be clear what he is saying to us. Let me apply this for us this morning. This means, if our money, if our dollars and our coins no longer bore the statement or the inscription, in God we trust, and instead had an atheistic slogan on it, if, our government started to support and promote atheistic religions, pagan religions, and started persecuting you and me as Christians. If our government started using our tax dollars to tear down churches and build pagan temples, if our government used our tax dollars to pay for abortions, we as followers of Jesus Christ must still pay our taxes precisely because we are followers of Jesus Christ. God has instructed, he has acknowledged the authority of the government that is ruling over us and he has told us to submit to that government and to pay our taxes. Jesus has instructed us as his followers to be good faithful, and law-abiding citizens. Good, faithful, and law-abiding citizens. Look at how Paul writes. Look at what Paul says about this. 1 Corinthians, oh, excuse me, Romans 13. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Jumping down to verse five. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full-time governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Clearly, We are to be good, faithful, and law-abiding citizens. Look at how Peter follows up on this idea in 1 Peter 2. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Do you know when Peter wrote this? Nero was the emperor. Nero may be the most ungodly man in all of human history. And Peter, at this time, writes... Fear God, honor the emperor. We are to give to Caesar, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. We are to be good and faithful and law-abiding citizens. But Jesus does not stop there. He doesn't stop there and he continues with a statement that may be even more radical than the first statement that he made. He continues with an instruction that may be even more radical than the first instruction. Jesus first says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and then he follows with, give to God what is God's. Now, I am telling you that the Jewish people were probably fairly offended by the first half of what Jesus said, because Jesus instructs them to pay these taxes back to Caesar, and they would have been offended at this. Likewise, some of you may be offended by this concept of sitting under the authority of the government that God has put in control over us. But with just a few words, with just a few additional words, Jesus raises the stakes even higher. With just a few words, he's saying, but wait, there is a God, there is one true living God who is reigning all over all of this and those little men who are sitting on the throne in Rome and the people in seats of power in Washington, D.C., they do not come close to comparing to the one true living God who reigns over all. And he says, so give to God what is God's. I don't think that we understand the implications of Jesus' first instruction to us but I'm also pretty sure that we don't fully understand the breathtaking implications of God's second instruction to us to give to God what is God's. He is asking that we are to give all of ourselves to him. Give it back to him. It's not a coincidence, it's not an accident that Jesus picks up a coin with the image of Caesar on it and uses it as the illustration. Caesar's image is on the coin. Whose image do you bear? You and I, we bear the image of God. Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Caesar's image is on the coin. Give him his coin back. You bear the image of God. And because you bear the image of God, you and I, we are to give back all of ourselves to God. We are to completely give ourselves back to him. And it's more than just the fact that we bear God's image. Look what Paul writes about what we owe back to God. Our obligation is greater because he also bought us back after we rebelled and after we sinned against him. He bought us back. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul is saying the same thing. You were bought with a price. Give back to God the bodies that he has given to you, the bodies that bear your image. But what was the price that was paid? What was the price that was paid that bought you? Look at how Peter describes this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. You weren't bought with silver. You weren't bought with gold. You weren't purchased or redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, we are bought with a price and that price was the precious blood of Jesus himself. Therefore, we are not our own. Give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Pay the tax. Give him the coin, but give to God what is God's. God has bought you. He owns you. He bought you and he purchased you with Jesus Christ's blood. Therefore, you, me, all of us together, we are to give ourselves back, all of ourselves back to God. And do not make the mistake. Do not make the mistake to think that Jesus is putting an offering to the state, not the state of Michigan, but the state as it defines government. Do not make the mistake to think that Jesus is putting an offering to the state and the same plane as an offering back to God, because they are not equal. They are not on the same plane. Jesus is setting up a question here for you and me. He is saying, which one do you value more? Do you value the state more or do you value God more? And they are not equal. As followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying to us, because he is our ultimate authority, he is saying to us, give back yourself, all of yourself, to God. So this means that, yes, we are to be good and faithful and law-abiding citizens, But if ever the state comes in and says, you have to do what God instructs you not to do or prohibits us from doing what God has instructed us to do, remember that your loyalty is first and foremost to your God in heaven who sits on the throne. You understand? We are to be good and faithful and loyal citizens. We are to be obedient to the laws. But if those laws ever conflict with the law of God, and we are prohibited from following God's instruction in our life, then we are to choose God every single time. No matter the cost. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give him the coin. Who cares? Give to God what is God's. And that means you give all of yourself to God. I have a story that I think illustrates this and gives us a bit of an application as well. There was a man who lived in the second century. His name was Justin. Justin lived in the second century and Justin wrote books and treatises, a pretty bright guy. And he wrote, a, his, one of his most famous is called The Apology. Justin wrote The Apology and he writes this apology as a defense of Christianity. Because remember, he in the time, in the second century, he is living in the pagan Roman Empire. And he writes this apology as a defense to Christianity because, because people during that time were attacking Christians and they were saying that Christians weren't loyal citizens. That they were not, they were not loyal to the Roman Empire. They were bad citizens. And, and Justin responded in the apology and he said, no, no, no. That's not the case. Christians are, are obedient. They're loyal citizens. Follow the laws. They're peaceable. We're peaceable people. We want to do the right thing. Justin says we even pay our taxes when other people don't. Justin goes on to write that it would be better for the empire if there were more Christians in the empire. All these people are attacking Christianity and Justin says, no, no, you don't understand. We as Christians... We're good, we're faithful, we're law-abiding citizens. Well, shortly after Justin writes the apology, Justin is arrested and he's accused of being a Christian. And he's hauled into court before a judge, before a pagan judge, and the judge accuses him. He says, you're a Christian. He goes in, he's also, also brought in with him are six of his students. So the seven of them are, are, are standing before the judge the judge says, "You're a Christian." Justin says, "Yes, we're Christians." The judge says, "That's illegal. You cannot be a Christian. And I have a test for you. And here's the test. You have to sacrifice to these Roman gods. And if you sacrifice to the Roman gods, you can walk free." Justin says, "We can't. We can't do that. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We can't sacrifice to the Roman gods." The judge begins to threaten Justin and his six students. Well, if you don't sacrifice to these Roman gods, you're going to be tortured. You're going to be punished. And we're going to take your life. And Justin says, no, we can't do that. Well, the judge continues, and the judge begins to mock him. And he says to Justin, so, I th- you, so, so do, you think, do you think you're going to actually ascend to heaven? Justin's response was, I don't think I'm going to ascend to heaven. I actually know that I am going to ascend to heaven. The judge says, no, 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 you've got a chance. I'm giving you a chance. Just sacrifice to these Roman gods. Otherwise, we are going to torture you and we are going to behead you and all of your students. Look at Justin's response. We desire nothing more than to suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ. For this gives us salvation and joy before his dreadful judgment seat at which all the world must appear. We desire nothing more than to suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ, for this gives us salvation and joy before the dreadful judgment seat at which all the earth, all the world must appear. Justin and his six students were beheaded. And so it was that Justin received the name by which he has been known throughout history, Justin Martyr. Now don't miss this. It's interesting, it's revealing, and it's important. Justin loyally paid his taxes to the government that murdered him. He paid taxes that built the temples that held the gods, the idols, that he was supposed to bow down and worship. Don't underestimate the implications of Jesus' short response. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be good, faithful, loyal, law-abiding citizens. But oh, so, 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 so much more. We are to give to God what is God's. And God deserves all of us. He deserves all of you and he deserves all of me because he has bought us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is not a gift we give back to God. It is an obligation that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And that obligation is ever so much higher more weightier, more important, and more costly than the gift back to Caesar. God asks us all to give all of ourselves back to him. Every once in a while, one of you will come up to me and say, that sermon that sermon you must have wrote directly for me. You know what? This week, this week, this sermon wrecked me. You know why? Because I'm, i not giving all of myself. Think of it this way: time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. You know what? This week, this sermon, it was for me. I'm not giving all my time, talent, treasure. But you know what else I know? This sermon is for every one of you sitting in this sanctuary this morning as well because there's not one of us that is giving our time, talent, and treasure. And look, I'm not, I don't want this to be a guilt trip thing. I really don't. I want us to understand as followers of Jesus Christ here at Calvary Church, here in this place, that God wants us to have the very best life possible but the best life possible means you have to surrender everything to him time talent treasure and if we do do you realize what will happen do you realize if we stop holding on to the time, if we stop holding on to our talents, if we stop holding on to our treasures, you see, and we're just so whacked out because it's not our time, it's not our talent, it's not our treasure. It's his time, his talent, his treasure that he has given to you and he has given to me. And we, we mess it up and we think, well, it's mine. It's not. But if we do, And if we do this together, we can make a radical change, not only in our lives individually, in this church, in Grand Rapids, in West Michigan, in this nation, in this world. So if you're writing notes, write down, how am I using God's time, God's talent, and God's treasure.